eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Uh, welcome to a, I think we're all relieved edition of Rico Bronia. The New York Mets won a series. There was panic a few days ago. Pete Hoffman was panicking. He should apologize to the entire audience because even though it wasn't beautiful, even though there was some worrisome moments, even though the lack of the big hit is still something that kind of hangs over this team, the New York Mets did what they needed to do. They won a series against an average baseball team in the Texas Rangers. Again, it was not easy. There are things about this series that make you feel there are still issues with this baseball team. But the bottom line is they needed wins. After getting shut out by the Astros, after getting demolished by the Astros, and after this idea of, oh, no, here it comes. Here comes the collapse. Even I had to be the calm one. This was a nice, good, solid win two out of three at home series. So before we continue, Pete Hoffman was on the radio panicking. How do you feel now, Pete? Are you relaxed? I still think, and I, I'm excited that Francisco Alvarez is moving up, but I still think they need to add. I know, listen, a panic was not the word, the proper word. I'm not panicking, but I'd like to, I can't stay. Can't stay still. That's the issue. Listen, I don't think there's any Met fan that said, this is it. This is our roster. We're not making any changes. Whether it's calling up Alvarez or calling up Vientos or adding a big bat, that still exists. That's still true. I agree with you. I think it was more this idea of losing games to the Astros, losing all four games to the Astros, scoring one run in two games was somehow going to lead to like this epic collapse And the truth is, they're better than the Texas Rangers. They're better than the Cincinnati Reds. I don't know if I'm going to be right. What I said last time on the Rico was, they're going to win five out of six against Texas and Cincinnati. And the only way that turns out to be true is if they sweep the Reds, which they may do. But the point is, they're fine. Like, there was nothing about what happened against the Astros that should make anybody say, oh, here we go, we're about to go lose 15 out of 18. But, Evan, my, my issue with that is in previous history, which is different. Now, i got to remember, remind myself, too, that this is a pr- new ownership and they're more proactive. But I don't want to sit around for a month for the trade de- deadline to come around to be like, okay, now we're going to make a move. I feel like, you're right, it was the Astros, so it's different. However, there was a bitter taste left me very concerned about some things, and the, the issues were highlighted. I understand. Look, I'll I tell you this. When you look at these three games against Texas, one thing that remains and is obvious is they need another guy in this lineup to hit the ball over the fence. Luckily, Eduardo Escobar decides, I'm going to hit a home run in every game of this series. Starling Marte decides on Saturday and Sunday, I'm going to hit first inning bombs. But... This offense lacks pop because what we saw, and I know the numbers may not fully show this, but we certainly saw it, I think it was on Friday or Saturday. The lack of clutch hitting is a real thing. And if you look at the first few months of this season when this team was scoring five runs a game, they were doing it because they were this incredible clutch hitting team, which is such a change from the last two years 
where they couldn't buy a big hit. I mean, you look back at 2020, even that short sample size, how many times did they just, the big hit was the killer. The big hit was the thing. They got on base plenty of times. They just couldn't buy the big hit. I think we saw signs over the last couple of games that they can't rely on hitting 285 for an entire season with runners in scoring position because those numbers are starting to come back down to earth. And the biggest way to offset that is to hit the ball over the fence. Like if you go back to Friday night's game and I'll pull up my scorecard to remind me everything I'm about to say in the fourth inning of that game, Escobar hits the three run home run. Mark Canna gets an RBI double. Great. They had a big inning. Because remember, they were down one nothing. They could take a 4-1 to lead. The rest of the game was the inability to get the big hit. And that's what led me on Friday night to tweet. It wasn't strictly my negativity over Kevin Durant. What led me to tweet Friday night that this felt like a brutal loss coming was leadoff man on in the sixth inning, they do nothing. Big opportunity in the eighth inning, first and second, one out, they do nothing. Even Jeff McNeil can't come through with a big hit. It felt like they left opportunities on the base pass. And the Rangers were slowly ticking their way back. They were slowly coming back into this game. Nathaniel Lowe hits a home run. They get an RBI ground out in the sixth inning. All of a sudden, it's a 4-3 to three game. And I'm sitting there Friday night with my son thinking, they got to get insurance runs. And they did a terrible job of tacking on. Now, the good news is, Seth Lugo did great. Adam Adovino did great. And Edwin Diaz did the job. So they were able to overcome the fact they were unable to get the big hit. But it is worrisome because we saw that all of last year. We saw it in 2020, the inability to get the big hit. Now, I'm not saying all of a sudden they're going to become this 195 team with runners in scoring position. But over the course of this series, over the course of the last few weeks, we've seen that sort of come back to earth. But what was great about Friday, besides the bullpen effort, which I just mentioned, was David Peterson. I mean, I think we have to start realizing, like, wait a second. David Peterson's got some balls. David Peterson is actually looking like a competent major league starting pitcher. And I'm not sure any of us felt that way a year ago, or we felt that way earlier this season when he was an early option. But take a look at Friday night. Chris Bassett's supposed to start the game. Chris Bassett has now returned his season around. All of a sudden, we get this mysterious, Chris Bassett's going on the IL, and it's not injury related. I have no idea what that is. I don't think we've got any details over the last few days that shed light on that. But all of a sudden, Chris Bassett's out of the rotation for the time being. And David Peterson is called to make a start where we also know his wife is about to give birth at any moment. So the Mets are really set up in this wonderful spot where Bassett's out. Peterson's making the start on, I don't know how much notice, but it didn't seem like a lot. And oh, by the way, at any moment, he may have to leave. And he did, outside of the two solo home runs he gave up, to Simeon, and to Lowe. He did an outstanding job. And there isn't any controversy here because Scherzer's healthy, DeGrom's healthy, David Peterson's out of the rotation. I think we all understand that. But he really has done, I think we have to admit it, over this sample size of, you know, nine starts, ten starts he's now made. He's done a hell of a job filling in. And I thought what he did Friday night was really, really impressive on no notice. So, Major kudos to David Peterson, and kudos to, I can't believe I'm saying this, Adam Adovino. Adam Adovino, besides Sunday against the Marlins a week ago, in which he gave up that game-winning home run, and we all remember that game wasn't on him. They couldn't score a freaking run. But Adam Adovino, even though this may be false confidence, I admit this, is actually looking sort of competent, getting big outs in the middle of a game. Now, Pete's shaking his head, because I know what Pete's thinking. Pete's thinking what the entire audience is thinking, which is, don't be fooled, you schmuck. Adam Adovino's not any good, and just because he's pitched well recently doesn't mean you should have this false hope that you have confidence handing the baseball to Adovino in a big spot in the postseason. And I agree. I'm not arguing with you. But let's just admit, guy's been a lot better than any of us would have thought this year. Got to admit that. Uh, yeah, no, he's been better. And again, like I, something about him I still want to... I appreciate how he takes the, the mound. I appreciate he knows when he's off. I, I There's a lot of things I like about the guy, but I just can't trust him. And that's the thing. is like The personalities with the Mets in the bullpen, even Trevor May, I like the guy a lot. But, God, when they suck, they're terrible. That's the problem. <laughs> no, I know. I know. You know what Adovino's done? He replaced J. Riz Familia. 
And last year, Jairus Familia actually had a better year than Adam Adovino. So I think there was a sense of most of us saying, oh, what an upgrade, when the truth was a year ago, it wasn't an upgrade. I think what Adovino has done is he's been so much better than what we expected and so much better than what he was a year ago and so much better than what he was at the tail end with the Yankees and so much better than Jairus Familia. That's the positive. To go along with that, is the lack of confidence we probably are now gaining with Drew Smith, who's been a little bit more human after he began the season giving up no runs in his first 15 innings. But one quick thing on that Friday night game, which I was at, great crowd, fireworks, it was fantastic. Four times in this game, they got the leadoff man on, and four times they couldn't score. And that goes back to my point that they were lacking that big hit. Uh, and even getting Jeff McNeil back in the lineup, which is usually Mr. King of the Big Hit, first inning, two on, two out, he's striking out. So even the return of Jeff McNeil didn't necessarily help that. But that's what worried me about Friday. That Did you get that feeling too, Pete, that Friday felt like a bad loss? Even though it, it didn't happen, they won the game, it was great. But just that there were signs throughout that game that that would have been a typical brutal kicking the ball kind of met loss. Yeah, I would say not, not a bad loss, but it was like a dead win. You know what I mean? Like, it was just like it felt empty. It, you, you got the victory, but it didn't feel like it was like pound your chest, which I like to Yeah, do. I think if they, if they tack on, we would have felt that way. Look, I, when they win a game, I'm so freaking happy. I don't care, especially for me personally, emotionally. I needed that win Friday night for two reasons. Number one, Kevin Durant all of a sudden is just like a, a scared bitch. So, you know, I now hate him. He went from being my hero, that's my guy, to now this guy wants out. You know what? Go F yourself. And two, my son was at the game. I needed to show him a victory. I feel pressure when I bring my kid to a game that, you know what? I don't want you to see a loss, especially when they had a 4-1 to lead. And oh, quick story from this game. So, Mets Rangers. The guy sitting behind me is from Texas. He's got his kid, my son's age, about five years old, chanting, let's go Rangers every minute. My son responds every time this kid says, let's go Rangers, with let's go Mets. It's almost like they're having a conversation with each other, but they're not talking to each other. Then the kid will say, boo Mets. And then my son would say, boo Rangers. And I'm like, this is so freaking awkward. But this one cracked me up. I went to the restroom a few innings later and I come back. This poor kid, this Rangers fan, was wearing a Joey Gallo Texas Rangers jersey. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why that cracked me up so much. Like, oh my god, this poor kid's wearing a Joey Gallo Rangers jersey. Yeah, I, I just was at a game. I just went at my friend's house in Connecticut, and they were like, "Oh, they really like Aaron Judge." And the young kid was like, "And I really like Joey Gallo." And I wanted to tell him, "Like, do you understand how much that guy's terrible? He's the worst guy <laughs> in the league right now." I, you know, the kid's seven, so I didn't want to break his heart. But I'm like, geez, out of everybody, Joey Gallo. What made the kid, like, I get it as a Rangers fan. Joey Gallo had some pretty good years for Texas. Big, left-handed slugger, great. But if you're a Yankee fan, like, what would ever make you say, Joey Gallo's my favorite player? It's just odd to me. I mean, mean, relative, but he's not. He's not a relative of his, so I I have no idea. (laughs) I I didn't ask. I just just felt bad. I was like, it's okay. It's, it's It's not the worst thing in the world, but maybe it's close to it. I got to tell you, as a father, I just wanted that whole let's go Rangers, let's go Mets thing to stop because it felt as if I was going to have to be placed in some kind of awkward fatherly conversation about his son rooting for the Rangers and my son rooting for the Mets. And luckily, it eventually ended. The Ranger kid tapped out. My kid won. Jet continued his let's go Mets chance, and let's go Ranger guy disappeared really after the Mets broke the game open. After uh, Escobar hit the three-run homer, kid kind of disappeared. Good job, Jet. Let's go. It's a big victory for Jet. The negative was this Saturday game because I think we all knew Trevor Williams filling in almost feels like a punted loss. It feels like there are so many examples of this. I saw Corey Oswalt was traded today. Remember the days where Corey Oswalt would be forced to make a start? Uh, Thomas Zapucky is forced to make a start. I know Trevor Williams was competent for a while, and he did a really good job to the point where you know, we all complimented him and said, hey, I know maybe Trevor Williams deserves more starts. Trevor Williams is what he is, which is a very mediocre to bad pitcher. So even when Starling Marte, you know, three pitches into the game, hits a bomb of a two-run home run, and they get an early 2-0 lead, that second inning was freaking batting practice. He's throwing cookies to Cole Calhoun. He's throwing cookies to Jonah Heim. He's giving up another home run to Cole Calhoun. But here's the ultimate problem. They give up the four runs. They're down 4-2. to 
That wasn't the game. The game was the lack of the big hit. The game was when they had scoring opportunities like the fifth inning with two on and one out, Pete Alonso up and the place is starting to shake and it's starting to move in a five to one game. They did nothing. And Alonso grounded into a double play. They, they were unable to, and this was kind of like that continuation from Friday, they couldn't chip away. And so if this was the Mets three weeks ago against, I mean, look who you're facing. I know Martin Perez has had a great year, but Martin Perez is like Esteban Loaiza a decade and a half ago when he had that great year out of nowhere. Martin Perez is not that good. Like if a team trades for him at the trade deadline, God bless you. Look at his career numbers. Don't judge him on the 2-2 ERA he's had this year. So while, you know, I can't basically compare Martin Perez to Glenn Otto from the night before who couldn't throw a freaking strike, you should be able to eventually hit Martin Perez. I mean, that, when this season's over, maybe this will just be a career season, but by next year, he'll be who he is. By the end of this year, he'll be who he is. But they couldn't chip away. If this was three weeks ago, that Saturday night game, the Mets win. They win the game 8-6, to six, something like that. And... That's where it continued to feel different, where offensively, you know, Pete Alonso did nothing in this game. Lindor actually got on base four times, which was awesome, but the bottom of the order did nothing. The catcher spot is a pitcher spot. We just, we have to admit this with James McCann and Tomas Nito. It is a, it is a freaking handed away out. And so when you're down in a game like this, five to two, it feels like you're chasing and it's even more difficult when you have two bats in this lineup. Well, really one bat in this lineup. I'm kind of picking on Guillerme lately because Luis Guillerme has very much cooled off. I think um, as much as I like him, he's kind of exposed himself as what he is, which is truly a bench player. He had a base hit on Sunday, but for the most part, he's like one for his last 18. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But the catcher spot, oh my God. I thought for a while they may be able to get away with this because both Nitto and McCann are so good defensively. But in a lineup that lacks as much pop as it does, it's it's tough to have a giveaway out, to have a McCann-Nitto spot. And, and I know this could come back to Francisco Alvarez, call him up, this is why you should be here. I don't know how often Alvarez would catch, especially if their biggest concern is his defense. But it does make me think, is it possible to add a third catcher to this roster? And maybe the answer is just Alvarez, even if he only catches twice a week. Just something that's competent. Like, their offense behind the plate is freaking abysmal right now. I'd rather have Jacob DeGrom hitting when he was back or have the pitcher hit at this point. But, look, it is what it is. Saturday was one of those losses where you got Trevor Williams on the mound. You're probably going to get your ass kicked, and they did. And that's what made the finale of this series so important to bounce back for many reasons. A, you had Carlos Carrasco on the mound. We know how much dog crap he's been recently. The excuses he's been making where Jose Altuve didn't check his swing. It screwed up my entire start. Give me a break. They needed, in a major way, a competent performance by Carlos Carrasco, and he really delivered. I got to hand it to him. That was very, very encouraging that he did. And look, Starling Marte delivered too because he's the one hitting the first inning home run again. And Eduardo Escobar picks another game to hit a home run. So it looks like he's starting to get hot. And one thing we always heard about Escobar, he's a very streaky hitter. So maybe we're witnessing the Eduardo Escobar hot streak. And I like Eduardo Escobar. I mean, the the guy said a week ago, I'm going to give the fans a reason to cheer at some point. It's finally happened. Hitting a home run every single day finally makes it happen. But... Carlos Carrasco was good. It was encouraging to see him give you a competent performance. 
And how about freaking Jolie, Joely Rodriguez? I mean, how about that? <laughs> that was stunning. Guy doesn't pitch in a week and a half, pitches on Saturday night, comes back in a big spot, gets Cole Calhoun to ground out. I was very, I was mixed about that move by Buck because I understood that Carrasco looked done. He was at 102 pitches. He give up, gives up the base hit to low. So the Rangers at that point had first and second, one out, sixth inning, four to one. Just to remind you of the situation. Tying run at the plate. A part of me agreed with Buck saying, yeah, you got to get Carlos out of the game. He's done. But the part that scared me is this bullpen doesn't have that reliable left-handed arm that comes out of the bullpen against a lefty like this spot versus Calhoun where you've got confidence. I know Joely Rodri- Rodriguez's splits are very weird. I think he's actually been better against righties than lefties. Um, and who the hell trusts Joely Rodriguez? You know, no one does. So a part of my hesitation wasn't Buck taking Carlos out. It was who the hell is he going to go to? Which I guess reinforces the idea that they're going to need bullpen help, specifically a left-handed reliever that would come in a spot like that. But man, I give Joely credit. He not only got the big out, the ground out to Calhoun, and that may have been the ground out that Luis Guillerme booted. I think that was the one, the one where Luis Guillerme, who's so sure-handed, boots a freaking ground ball, and then thank God he recovered and threw the guy out at first base. I think that was that same spot, the sixth inning, if memory serves correct. But then Rodriguez comes back and gets a pretty clean seventh inning, setting up the great Adam Adovino and Edwin Diaz. And I did think this was very fascinating. We saw Buck earlier this year. The thing that gave me uh, so much excitement, when he went to Diaz in the eighth inning, because it was the heart of the Dodger order. Remember that whole thing? Then he went to Lugo in the ninth inning. He had that same possibility against Texas. Because remember who was coming up in the eighth inning? Simeon Seeger Garcia, heart of the order. Where he could have said, I'm going to go Diaz eighth against the better hitters, and then I'm going to go to whoever, but in this case, Adam Adovino, to pitch the ninth inning. Here's why I'm glad, believe it or not, he didn't do it that way. Because normally I'd say, yes, go to your best pitcher in the eighth inning in that spot. In this series, Corey Seager hasn't killed him. In this series, Adolis Garcia hasn't killed him. In this series, it's the combination of Jonah Heim and Cole Calhoun. And those are the guys that would be coming up in the ninth inning. So you figure, all right, give me Edwin Diaz, who has a better chance to get those guys out. And Edwin Diaz, other than the base hit that Jonah Heim, pretty much did. He did make things exciting in the ninth inning. But here's why I don't care. Get the freaking job done. Get me three outs. Don't blow the game. Don't give up a three-run home run. Don't send this thing to the Fugazi Rob Manfred 10th inning. Just win the damn game. So even though it was a little nerve-wracking and he puts two guys on base and here's the tying run, here comes Mitch Garver, he got the job done. So kudos to Edwin Diaz. Kudos to the Met bullpen. And they get themselves a much-needed victory to win this series against the Texas Rangers. And now we all can take a nice deep breath. We got some help from the Cincinnati Reds. They beat the Atlanta Braves and the leads back up to four in the loss column, three and a half. Look, we we all have to do this. We have to forget that the Mets at one point had a 10 and a half game lead. We got to forget that. Because A, it's irrelevant. And B, it's not fair to say the Mets had a 10 and a half game lead Now it's only three. What the hell happened? We know what happened. The Atlanta Braves are playing tremendous baseball. That's what happened. The Mets haven't really done anything necessarily wrong. And I mentioned this on the air recently, and I think I did on the Rico as well. You can find stretches of a season where a team doesn't play great baseball. You're going to find out for everybody. So if you want to pick beginning with the Astros, the first Astros series, and say, well, 0-4 0-4 against the Astros, and then, yeah, two series victories. You do the math, that gets you to 4-6, and six, right? That means the Mets have lost six out of their last 10 games. And if you want to look at it that way, sure. Every team's going to have that stretch. But the Mets haven't played bad baseball for any extended period of time. The Atlanta Braves have played great baseball for an extended period of time. That's the bottom line. So we all have to forget that they once had a 10-and-a-half game lead. It doesn't matter anymore. This is a pennant race. It's going to remain a pennant race. They have a huge series against the Braves in a week and a half. And those 15 games against Atlanta is going to help determine this. Now, Pete, you're going to love this. Because here is our best evidence 
on why Francisco Alvarez needs to be here today. And we know he was called up to AAA great. Are you ready for my biggest piece of evidence, Pete? Give it to me because I have a follow-up if you don't nail it. Go for it. If I don't nail it, I may not nail it. (laughs) It's related to the Atlanta Braves. So the Atlanta Braves got off to obviously a mediocre start, hence why the Mets were able to open up a a 10.5 game lead. The Atlanta Braves decided to call a kid up who had less plate appearances at the minor league level than Francisco Alvarez has right now. They called up a guy who's just a few months older than Francisco Alvarez, a little bit older, but nothing significant. He's still 21 years old. Francisco is 20 years old. They called this kid up even though he had no experience at AAA. He was actually called up from AA. What a concept. And that guy is Michael Harris, who I'm sure everyone is now familiar with. He's played very, very well for the Atlanta Braves. He has now played in 34 games since his call up. The Atlanta Braves are 24 and 10. I don't necessarily, and I'm certainly not trying to make the case that that one call up is the reason for the Atlanta Braves rampage run they've been on, but it's a part of it. Michael Harris is playing every single day. Michael Harris has added a jolt to a Brave team that's without Ozzie Albies, to a team that's missed Acuna for periods of time, to a team that needed it. Michael Harris, and and before anyone brings up the position, before anyone says, well, that's a center fielder, we're talking about a catcher. I'm not suggesting, nor is Pete suggesting, Alvarez has to come up as a catcher. We have all suggested very consistently, whether it's on the Rico or on the fan, that you can DH him. You want to catch him once a week, that's fine. Obviously, we probably are going to have more of a want to have him catch, considering how pathetic McCann and Nitto are, but he doesn't have to catch. One of the Met needs right now is a designated hitter. So Michael Harris is a great example of what can happen when you call a kid up, when you say to a kid, hey, you know what, maybe you can add something to this lineup. And you could argue that Harris... But I think is also from Georgia. It's amazing how the freaking Braves, all their prospects are from Georgia. I don't, I don't get how they do it, but somehow they pull that off. There would have been pressure on him. Think about it. You're calling up a top prospect. Ozzie Albies is out for the season. They're the defending world champions where the bar is high, and he's performed at a high level. The team has won a bunch of games, and it's an example. Because instead of me going back to 2003, bringing up Miguel Cabrera, or even us in 2015 with Michael Conforto, how about the team that's battling the freaking Mets right now for the National League East? 21 years old, double A, less plate appearances than Alvarez. They called him up, and so far the results have been pretty damn good. So that's my case for Alvarez. What was the one I missed now, Pete? No, first of all, I think that's pretty sufficient right there. Again, like a lot of people are saying, well, you know, Alvarez is coming up from double A. It was, you know, you, he needs to hit AAA first. Like to me, that's just a BS. That, that that's a, a, a old school mentality. I'm glad that you said it, not me, because people think I'm an idiot. So you say it, you're smart. So there you go. <laughs> it, now it makes more sense. But one thing I have to say, you you did nail the fact that he doesn't have to play catcher solely. He could play it once, maybe twice a week. Our DH is a dead spot. Dom Smith and J.D. Davis are basically our DH, correct? I mean, Alonzo plays it once in a while, but but basically J.D. Davis and, and, and Dom Smith. How many home runs do they have this season? Uh, well, Dom has zero, and I think right. J.D. has two, if I'm not mistaken. you got to combine two home runs from our DH spot. I'm sorry, but when you go to the when, – when DH comes to the NL and we're like, oh, we have plenty of DH hitters – and you produce two home runs, basically, from Dom Smith and J.D. Davis, who are, quote-unquote, your DH, then something has to change, which is why Francisco Alvarez, I don't care even about how his his catching is going to be right now. Now, listen, he caught Scherzer, which is great, but the fact is that you need someone who can, like you said, get it out of the park. You need one more batter, and that Alvarez can do. And what's crazy is that... I would prefer this over adding a bat via trade. Like, I think when you look at the history of baseball and you look at the July 31st acquisition and you talk about the big prospect call-up, I'd rather be in a spot where I've got the ability to call a kid up 
And that guy may be the answer, as opposed to searching for the aging veteran where you've got to give up a big prospect for. So this is the ideal scenario. The ideal scenario is there is someone in your system that's ready, not forcing it, not you know calling someone up who isn't ready or isn't that big of a prospect, but calling up a guy in your system that can be that answer. And so that's the exciting part in a way, but it's also something we want to know before July 31st. And he's not, and he's not saying from the day like this is not like, oh my God, we're, we're panic set in. We need somebody. No, it's like a why not give him a chance now because this this will help us see what we need to do. And so it's like the one catcher I was talking about is Wilson Contreras. Is that really the move the Mets need to go all in on? To no, make a great playoff run. But that's what they're going to be dealt with if they can't figure this catching situation well, out. If they can't figure out for a, a DH. I know that when you have a chance to win a championship, you have to do whatever you can, and I respect that. And if you told me the Mets are going to win the World Series, fine. Give up whatever for Wilson Contreras. You also need to be smart long-term. I'm not a big fan of giving up a top prospect for a guy that's a clear rental. Wilson Contreras is a clear rental. It's not a guy that you're going to keep around because you have Francisco Alvarez as a prospect. And because, you know, we talked last week or last time on the Rico about Otani and Judge and all these free agents— you are going to want to fill some spots in your roster with cheap, young talent. And so you don't want to necessarily give up the cheap, young talent for someone who's only going to be here for a month and a half. Now, I'm not opposed to trading necessarily for a catcher. I just don't know if I would do a big-ticket item like Contreras because of the prospects it's going to cost. But that's why time is of the essence. It's July 4th, July 3rd. You want to see what you have. Because July 31st, the day, or I think it's August 2nd this year, whatever the deadline is, that's it. Like, you can't pull a deal off August 20th. So you kind of want to know what you have. But we'll keep an eye on it. At least there's progress. Alvarez is going to go to AAA, and hopefully he tears it up for a few weeks. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I did, um, I have to admit, and I'm going to cancel it. Or maybe I'm not going to cancel it. I bought the minor league baseball TV package. Earlier on Sunday, uh, I'm actually recording this from my parents' house. I brought the kids up to see uh, Grammy and Grandpa. And while the kids were running around, having a good time, I noticed it was 6 o'clock. And I said, I got to watch Jake. Jake's about to pitch. And my oldest son comes over and he's like, Jake? I said, yes. He's like, I want to watch him pitch too. So I realized that the St. Lucie Mets was on the minor league app. And it's kind of like the baseball. It's the baseball package for the minor leagues. That's why I'm thinking of keeping it. Could be good to have. So I pay the $12 because I think that's what it costs a month. I fire it up. I hear these nice announcers. I don't want to insult them, but it sounded like it was right out of college. Talking about the excitement of the Port St. Lucie Mets taking on the Jupiter Hammerheads. There's electricity in the air. Here's Jacob DeGrom. So I watch Jake. All right, I watched his performance. I don't have to repeat what I saw on Twitter. I actually physically watched it. And I got to tell you, and I don't know if I'm the only guy saying this, I have to raise alarm bells. I do. Now, did Jake do anything wrong? He struck everybody out, essentially. Struck the first guy out, struck the second guy out, hit the third guy out, got a ground out. Next inning, strikeout, strikeout. It wasn't even fair. I mean, it was a video game. But what I was so curious about was here is a guy, my love, I love Jake. He's my guy. Forget the rant. This is my guy. He's throwing 100 miles an hour. And I was curious, for a guy that hasn't pitched in a year, we can't figure out why there's always something medically wrong with him. And I remember two years ago on the radio, not that I want to be right about this, saying to Joe, it concerns me how hard he throws. He throws so hard, so often more than anybody in baseball, this doesn't feel healthy. And maybe it has nothing to do with why he's hurt. I've had a lot of people give me pushback on this. I don't know why Jake's had a lot of injuries. I'm I'm not a doctor. But I know he's had a lot of injuries. I know he hasn't made a start in one year. And I know he throws harder than everybody by a lot 
consistently. So I was hoping, because I've seen Jake do it, I've seen Jake pitch at a high level without throwing 101 miles an hour. We all have. Go back to 2014 when he was the rookie of the year. Even go back to 2018 when he won his first Cy Young. He wasn't throwing 101 miles an hour. I was hoping that maybe Jake would say, and the Mets would say, we got to do something different because I've barely pitched in the last two years. And Hoff, there was nothing different. So for anyone that wants to go nuts about, oh, this is great. The, the Jake is back. Is Jake back? Is he? He pitched an inning and two-thirds in a freaking rehab game, and we have no idea if he's going to fully get back and then stay back. And I'm sorry, the more he throws 101 miles an hour, the more I'd be concerned about it. Am I wrong here? No, I'm very concerned. I Again, the, the fact that it's been a year, and, and he says he feels like 100% is confusing to me. If you feel 100%, then why have you not sped up this process? Why did it take so long to rehab? Like, I'm confused at everything that's going on right now. So, no, I said this last week. I am totally concerned, and and it, it would be surprised to see him get back on the mound before September. Yeah, it, look, in a perfect world, if Jacob deGrom could throw 100 miles an hour on every single pitch and dominate like he did in 2021, we're all happy. I'm thrilled. Like, I'm not trying to be the police on his velocity more than trying to answer a question that should be on all of our minds, which is, why has he been unable to stay healthy, and what's going to change? Like, really, that's all that matters, because we can't worry about 2021 anymore. We can't worry about the first three months of this season anymore. Now it's about get back and stay back. Get back and stay back. And I always like to ask questions. So here's a question. Why has he been unable to get back and stay back over the last two years? So, look, maybe the Mets have a, a very safe scientific reason. Maybe they figured it out. It has nothing to do with velocity. You're freaking out over nothing. Okay, I've been talking about this for three years. This isn't new. I've always been concerned about the amount of times he throws 101 miles an hour. You know, Justin Verlander is an all-time great pitcher. And one thing I've always seen about Verlander is he'll sit in the low to mid-90s. And then when he needs to bring it back, needs to rear back, get a big strikeout, he'll top it up at 98, 99 miles an hour. And I wondered, with Jake suffering his most serious injury, the fact he hasn't pitched in one year, would that change? And the early answer from that game was no. Uh, but I hope I'm wrong. I mean, I don't want to be freaking right here. I wish Jacob DeGrom could throw 101 miles an hour every single time, and there's no issue. But, look, he looked great. He is facing teenagers, you know, guys who are three years away. But he looked like a video game. I mean, his slider was unbelievable when he threw it. His fastball up in the zone was dominant. I mean, I was thinking about this. I watch a lot of Yankees, obviously, because we're, you know, WFN, Mets, Yankees, all that. I've watched a lot of Joey Gallo. Joey Gallo can't hit a high fastball. I think we've all accepted that. If Jacob deGrom told Joey Gallo, I'm going to throw you nothing but high fastballs, 90 pitches in a row, do you think Joey Gallo would get a base hit on any of them? <laughs> I don't know, but just to grab strike about every time. I think that he'd foul off maybe three. He'd, he'd foul he'd, a few off. Yeah, but but get a base hit? No, no chance. The other guy he would not, the other guy he would dominate is JD Davis. You know, because we know JD oh, can't hit a fastball. <laughs> yeah, and, and Degrom could take a couple of miles per hour off of that too, and still he could. him out. He can go to miles... 96, 97, He's fine. <laughs> hey, question about Degrom? Did you see the note? From, I think it was Buster only, who said yeah. that if DeGrom does decide to opt out a team that would be very much in play, Atlanta Braves. How do you feel about that? Okay, a couple of things about Buster only. Buster only also said there's a growing sense Aaron Judge is done with the Yankees. Remember that one? He did that about two weeks ago? I think I did about two months ago, but yes. Was it two months? Was it that long ago? No, that was me. <laughs> oh, that was you. <laughs> The only game that recently of, uh, you know, there's a growing sense Judge isn't going to be back. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Here's what Jacob DeGrom is going to do. And I have great respect for this. I have no issue with this. He is going to sign with the highest bidder. Do I think he gives the Mets any kind of discount? I don't know. I, I know Jake has said once before that it means something. as Because his goal is to get to the Hall of Fame. He really wants to be a Hall of Fame pitcher. And he knows that being on one team kind of adds to that, you know, being a one-team player adds 
to one's legacy. I remember he did an interview about two years ago in relation to that. So could that mean he would give the Mets any kind of discount? Maybe, but I doubt it. He wants to get paid. He sees what Max Scherzer is making. He sees how that contract he signed a few years ago has turned out to be outdated. And so this comes down to something very, very simple. It's why I don't worry about these reports about the Braves or anybody else. The Mets have to pay him. They do. They, ha- they have to take care of him. And I, I get, trust me, I spoke to Beningo recently, and this boggles my mind. Joe doesn't want him back. Joe's like, screw this guy. You don't care about winning. He's this, he's that. And I've argued with him about it. And he says, I'd let him go. And I try to counter by saying, he's my Tom Seaver, Joe. Like, he may not be that to you, and I understand why he may not be. But to me, and maybe to my generation, he's our franchise. So whether there's concerns about his health or not, like I just pointed out, I've admitted my concerns about his health. I can't let the mistake of him going somewhere else and being healthy happen. I'd rather make the mistake of paying him and him not being healthy. Like, that's the trade-off. And I would make that trade any day of the week. I don't understand Joe's point, though, of he he's not concerned with winning. Like, excuse me, but, like, he was on a team that he pitched basically shutouts and one one run games every every start, and they couldn't win because they couldn't score runs. But the guy pitches balls off. So I, I don't understand I, that part of it. I love Joe. All right, I really do. This point he has been making to me is illogical, okay? <laughs> so I'm, I'm not going to sit here and try to defend it. I think Joe, Joe at some point will fill in when Craig's on vacation, so I'm sure he'll have a, get a chance to elaborate with the WFN audience. But yes, no, we've talked about it. He's he's not a Jacob DeGrom fan, and maybe it's because he's missed so much time. And, you know, when someone's gone, you almost forget how great they are. I mean, the guy's, the guy's an all-timer. The problem is he just doesn't pitch enough. But my point to you about the only thing is it doesn't concern me because it's simple. It's kind of like the Aaron Judge thing. Like, I wouldn't be concerned if I'm a Yankee fan. Pay him. If you pay the guy, he's going to be back. Like, I don't think Jacob DeGrom is looking to leave. If someone offers him more money, would he leave? Yes. I think Aaron Judge is very similar. If someone pays him more, he'll leave. I don't think he's looking to leave. So You're in a situation now, and I'm not trying to troll the Yankee fans at all, but realistically, Steinbrenner and the Yankees' ownership is in a situation they've never been in before. Like, money is of issue to them. I don't know if Cohen is at that point where it's like, all right, we can't pay everybody. So well, I, I'd expect DeGrom and Alonzo to stick around and get major, huge contracts. It, it is one, and this is just my opinion, it is one thing to not sign big-ticket items. You cannot, if you're Steve Cohen, two years into your ownership, I don't care how unhealthy Jacob DeGrom has been, you cannot let him sign elsewhere. He needs to finish as a career Met. And look, I use David Wright as an example. The Mets made a decision a year before free agency, and I give the Wilpons credit, to lock up David Wright to a long-term contract. They did, and it was a disaster. We all know that. David could not stay healthy. His career was ruined. He got Manning lead at the end of his career. Could not stay healthy. I sit here all these years later saying to you the same thing I'd say about Jake. It was worth it. Would I rather... Give a guy like David Wright or Jacob DeGrom a contract that turns out to be a colossal failure versus I allow the Phillies or Braves to sign him and he's good. And and, and what makes this one even more of a no-brainer is you're not dealing with an owner that would be hamstrung by it. At least, unfortunately, in the Wilpon case, yeah, David Wright's contract hamstrung them in many ways. And even now I say, I'm glad he didn't sign with the Phillies or the Yankees or the Braves, because we'd look at David so differently if he wasn't a career Met. We'd still like him, probably still love him, but it would be different. And so I know this is more of a discussion for the offseason, but I'm not letting Jacob DeGrom go. And I'll risk that contract being bad because he isn't healthy over him going anywhere else. Uh, One thing I noticed, and I'm sure Craig and I will spend time with this on the air because this is right up his alley, but I have to be honest. I can't believe that the crowds were as bad as they were on Saturday and Sunday at City Field. And if you're asking, well, what? What are you talking about? So Friday night was a great crowd. It was fireworks night. It was fantastic at City Field. On Saturday, 90 degrees, 4 o'clock against the Texas Rangers, they announced 26,000 people. Sunday afternoon, also a nice day. First place Mets against the Texas Rangers, 
they announced 25,000. I'm stunned by that. Uh, midweek games, sure, in that number. Weekend games, always over 30. And just to give you perspective on this, last year, not last year, last year is not a good example because we didn't have full crowds for a big part of the year. 2019, the Mets never drew below 30,000 for any weekend game. Like ever. That was 2019. So you want to cite COVID? I I mean, I guess. It seems like most people have ignored COVID's existence at this point. Like people are out and about. So I don't think it's COVID. The economy sucks. Is it that? Well, okay, here's my counter to that, if that's your point. Why are the Yankees having no issues drawing crowds? So I don't know what it is. I'm not giving you a reason. I don't have an answer because it seems like Mets fans are giddy about this team. We're in first place. We're 49 and 30. Steve Cohen's a great owner. Like, There's no reason for people to stay away. But if you compare it to 2019 or 2018, They never had crowds this bad for a Saturday afternoon or for a Sunday afternoon. So I'm going to think more about it because I know at some point Craig's going to give me crap for it on the air because he listens to the Rico all the time. And he's going (laughs) to hear this and say, well, I didn't realize that. I'm going to bring this up. Do you have a theory, by the way, for this? Or I have a couple, actually. Go. First of all, Saturday. Um, My son, who is a big Yankee fan, Anthony, the four-year-old, which I'm very upset by. I want to stab myself in the eye. He... um, (laughs) He asked me to go to the Yankee game. I go, they're not in town. They're in Cleveland. So we watched the game, and he was like, I want to go to a baseball game. He goes, can we go to Mets? I was like, I would, but it's supposed to rain. So we looked at the forecast. It was supposed to be thunder showers on Saturday. It never happened. We actually went to the movie theater yeah. around 4 o'clock or whatever it was, and then we went to the pool afterwards. So it like just all worked out that it, it never rained. But like that was the reason why we didn't go. Otherwise, I would have clearly taken him. And then let me ask this is my question. What are typical attendances of Fourth of July weekend? Are they normally huge? Because I would think that you said the pandemic, this is now a couple a year removed of people actually going out and traveling. Like I feel like I know a lot of people that went away this weekend that haven't gone away in a long time. So maybe that's why New York was a little vacant. And for typical fashion, dude used to work at K Rock, used to do some crazy ass parties in the city. For 4th of July, no one's there. It's a dead town. I feel like maybe that has something to do with it. That's just me. Uh, Okay. Sunday, Saturday, July 6th. The Mets played the Philadelphia Phillies in 2019. 32,000 people. The Yankees Yankees played the Tigers three weeks ago at Yankee Stadium. They had 39,000 people. Yeah. None of this makes sense to me, and I, I'm not offering any answer other than just the facts and that I noticed this as a Mets season ticket holder. Not that I've had problems selling tickets because I'm going to games, and that's not my worry. It's not even about that. It's about I see the crowds, and I'm taken aback because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit what this team is doing or the hype around this team. But, no, what, everything you said, unfortunately, doesn't work, Pete, because – I could sit here and give you 2019, I give you 2018, I give you 2017. The numbers are always in the 30s. Now, I have noted, I'll give you one thing. And this Gas is really. Prices. What was that? Gas prices? No, because why are the Yankees getting 45,000 people? Gas is the same for Yankee fans. So here's the only thing I could come up with. For some reason, the Mets aren't doing giveaways on Saturday and Sunday anymore. They used to do. Free shirt Friday, and then some kind of giveaway on Saturday and Sunday. This past weekend, this series against Texas, nothing. You didn't get anything. And I wonder if the giveaways actually have, in the past, added to the attendance at the ballpark. Because I don't have it in front of me, but I'm sure when I give you a Saturday afternoon against the Phillies in 2019, I'm sure they were giving something away. Because I they would always give something away. So I wonder if it's a giveaway issue now. That's kind of pathetic. Like, you're telling me it's 26,000 people for a first-place team on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon? Like, that, that's lame. But I can't think of any other reason because the economy argument doesn't work because look at the Yankees. The weather or 4th of July thing doesn't work. Look at three years ago. Like, all these excuses that we like to come up with, they're not valid. There's just a weird re- – people just aren't going to games at City Field for some reason. But the, and the attendance overall, is it is it down from pe- previous years? Or well, with, is it... 
what makes this difficult is that last year is not a comparable year because for the first half of the year, they limited the amount of people in the building. And obviously there was no attendance in 2020. So I'm really looking back three years ago and seeing that attendance and comparing it. And yeah, I mean, it seems like it's down. It's very, very strange. I, because we, we briefly talked about this on the air about two weeks ago, how the Mets and Yankees were playing head-to-head during the week, and the Yankees had bigger crowds. And I said to Craig, look, weekends, they'll be fine. Midweek, they're not doing well, but weekends, they'll be fine. And this was the first weekend where it was not fine. I mean, 25,000 people on a Sunday afternoon for a first-place baseball team just doesn't make any sense to me. So I hope it changes because ne- well, it will change, and I'll tell you why. Next weekend, Saturday sold out because that's the Keith Fernandez retirement jersey day. So I guess the next day will be a test, Sunday afternoon against the Marlins. Do they go from 42,000 to 25,000 on a Sunday afternoon on July 9th or July 10th, whatever the date is? I guess we'll see. But, yeah, I noticed that. I wanted to bring it up only because I was thinking about it this weekend while I'm watching these games. Like, what the hell's going on? Why is there nobody in the ballpark? That is odd. I mean, and, and, and I, I look back, like I've been to a couple games this year, not as many as I've usually gone to, but I feel like the crowd has been pretty packed. But I mean, attendance, it, at least what we, I think you guys talked about the ratings on TV, though, were pretty good. Am I correct about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, the Yankee ratings were up, and I think the Met rating we saw was good, but I haven't, I don't know overall what it is. It just, you would think people would be in a rush to go to the ballpark because of the fact that, A, the Mets are in first place, and, B, there's no ownership strife like there used to be, where you're pissed off at the owner and you don't want to give them money. But, look, either way, keep winning. I guarantee playoff games will be sold out. That I will I have the utmost confidence in. Uh, three games against Cincinnati coming up. I predicted on the Rico last week they'd win five out of six against Texas and Cincinnati, so hopefully I'm right. That would mean a sweep. But the big story of this series is that we do get Max Scherzer back on Tuesday night, which will be great. That puts him on line to pitch Sunday against the Marlins at City Field. And this team is starting to come back to its full health. You're facing a bad team. You need to beat this bad team. You need to flush this bad team. The Atlanta Braves are facing a quality team in the St. Louis Cardinals. So this is a chance to do some damage and add a few games to this NL East lead. We'll be back on Wednesday right after they wrap up the series with the Reds with another edition of Rico Bronia. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back Tuesday with Craig Carton on the air at 2 o'clock. I don't know Pete Hoffman's schedule. He may be hosting. One of his uh, hosts may have an, another car issue. He may have to step in for an hour and a half. Good job with that, Bob, bro, by the way. Excellent work. Last second, I got you, Tiki. Your car broke down. I got you, man. We're straight Mets panic mode. Let's go. Easy enough. <laughs> uh, rate, review. Thanks for downloading Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. 